All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's Ear to the Ground and Jukebox Republic. But first, we start off the week's programs with a new edition of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Monday, April 27th. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today is Shirley Lin. Hello. Up next, well, 90, N95 masks are keeping medical professionals around the world safe. Now, we've already told you how the person who helped make this possible was born in Taiwan. Now, the Taiwan-born inventor of a key piece of technology is coming out of retirement and helping us make the world even safer. Then, what's in a name? Many people in Taiwan uh, believe quite a lot. We'll be hearing about how a child's name stirred up trouble in one Taiwan family, and English commentary for Taiwan's baseball league is set to be expanded. All that coming up next. Please stick around. Well, Peter Tsai has had quite a storied career. Um, I think we've already sort of uh, covered the basics of uh, what he did. He invented uh, the technology that makes N95 respirator masks work. And of course, uh, I think the whole world is grateful for this invention right now. Um, but he's recently come out of retirement to try and figure out a safe way to sterilize them so they can be reused because there are global shortages of these masks. Oh, yeah. Okay. And... Um, and there's uh, uh, the alma mater, who is very proud of this <laughs> graduate, uh, has released a press release, actually, issued a press release highlighting his rise. And he has a, quite a remarkable story. Uh, he went to the U.S., he still lives there, to study. And uh, he was very fascinated with the idea of uh, textiles. Mm -hmm. And he worked at a textile research institute. And Taiwan at the time was just making them. Not and not really inventing new fibers or things like that. The technology came from abroad, and Taiwan was just the factory that made them for you know companies in places like the U.S., Europe, or Japan. So he decided that he wanted to learn the principles behind you know these high tech fibers himself. He went to the U.S. to study, and uh, he this is a really amazing fun fact uh, earned the equivalent of six doctorates. He, oh, wow. he took five hundred credits. <laughs> wow. Uh, in subjects ranging from mathematics to physics and chemistry. Uh, from there, he worked as a scholar at the University of Tennessee. And in 1992, he led the team that developed, it's called the electrostatic filtration technology that they use in these masks. Right. Um, so he retired uh, from the university last year, actually. And so soon, he's already back in action. Since March, he has been working with a group of uh, volunteers. They're all scientists and engineers and, and some doctors themselves on this project that they're calling N95 Decon, which I think Decon is for decontamination, maybe. Mm, that sounds right. Um, and they're trying to uh, figure out, they're doing studies on how to decontaminate them and publishing their results online, which is anyone who's had to try to like look up things in an academic journal knows is uh, not cheap usually. So it's good that they're doing this for free. 
Um, his friends have joked that he could be making a fortune now because the, his expertise is in right. obviously quite high demand. But actually, he said, if I could choose, this is a quote, actually, uh, mm. if I could choose, I would rather save 100 million lives than make 100 million dollars, mm. end quote. Mm. What a person. Yeah. Wow. Really. Wow. He's really quite humble. He he keeps a very low profile, actually. And, um, you know, N95, he actually invented this mask like 30 years ago. I don't think so. It says he invented the technology that makes the mask right. work. So I don't know if someone else decided to, if decided, hey, this is how we can apply it. But in any case, um, without his contributions, it wouldn't have happened. So, right. Yes, the medical community, and I guess the whole world, thanks you for your service, and uh, hopefully they'll get some good results soon. In Taiwan, the name you choose, some believe, actually a fair number of people I think believe, uh, sort of determines your fate. Yeah. It's the subject of a very complicated... uh, do you want to call it a, a science? A, yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's a very a, Taiwanese culture thing. Um, isn't it's, it? it's people like analyze their name, these name analysis. And I, I'm not quite sure of the details, but I've been told that in the things like the number of strokes in the characters. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of different parameters to look at. It's quite complicated, the fortune telling that goes into this. And so, perhaps not surprisingly, given how big of an impact a name's supposed to have on a child, uh, what to name a child can be a source of friction in families. Shirley has a story about uh, a little bit of a kerfuffle inside one family that happened recently here in Taiwan. Right. Well, we're talking about this woman who just had a baby, a baby girl, and then she actually already decided on the name for the baby. But then the mother-in-law... Um, wanted to have a, you know, have have some kind of participation oh, in yeah. the naming of the baby, so she actually paid to uh, talk to a fortune teller and have him or her come up with names. And uh, actually, uh, he came up with three names. So the mother-in-law went home with these three names and told the daughter-in-law, "Okay, pick one of these three. And she actually, the the wife, I mean, doesn't like any of the three names. And like he, so she put Uh-oh. on social platform asking what do you do when you've got such a mother-in-law who just insists on things like this you know mm. and so it's it's really um um basically some of the netizens were saying like wow first of all these names they're so-so they're even worse than you know um, is those um, very common so um, an english example would be my name john <laughs> right it's a name that uh like Everybody has. Lots right. of people have. It's very common. Uh, not something that, I mean, if you had, you wouldn't be surprised if you knew three people who had that name. Right. Like that. Exactly. But actually, these Chinese characters, they're, they're kind of like worse than John, <laughs> you know, because they're so song. How would you say that? Just too, just, it's... You mean aesthetically speaking? Yeah, kind of, you know. Uh, it, it's just like... People are saying like this is like a past generation. I mean, people don't use those old-fashioned. I, I think guess it's you... really interesting. Um, there are so many characters, and the number of combinations are probably endless. I mean, right. you probably only want to pick nice characters with nice meanings. But I mean, there are I think a lot of a lot of options out there. Uh, probably an infinite Too number of combinations. Many. I know most people have one or two characters in their given name. Right. Um, but it's what's surprising though is that there are trends through mm-hmm. time and like yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like we said like names that are very common right 
I mean, you so. could be very creative, but there are some, some, for some reason, people tend to stick to certain. So they think these names sound old fashioned. Huh? Yeah, even the daughter in laws think so too. And, and um, so basically, uh, other was just saying, um, that it's worse than those common names like mm. John, right? <laughs> and then um, there were others who were saying that it, when a kid grows up, she's going to be mocked, you know, with this kind of name. Really? Did you ever think about the feelings of this child when he she grows up, that kind of thing? Well, do they sound like anything else, though? Like, no. I can understand if they sound like a bad word, for instance. Actually, no, but they just... You just wouldn't name people with these kind of names, okay. like Chun Feng, but it's Chun is spring, spring but Feng is Phoenix. Oh, Phoenix. Okay. Well, that probably, uh, for me personally, that oh. would have been all Chun right, Feng. but Chun Feng, but anyway. And the other one has got the Feng. character for like mediocre. What? Su. <laughs> or vegetarian. <laughs> vegetarian? No. Anyway, Su. it means blend, blend. Blend. Okay, or like... vegetarian. <laughs> it has both meanings. Yeah, th that's not a good character at all. See? See, John, even you, you realize that, right? No, because like you, it's just based on the meaning. Yeah. Who wants and, to be named that? And then the, okay. the third one is like Yue Jiao. It's Which like one? Moon? Yue. Moon. And then Jiao is like when someone's he's very um, kind of flirtatious or something. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's the one with so the, the female... Female character. The female radical on the right, side. Right, right. Okay. See, I don't like that either. See? No. See? So anyway... But um, basically... So what is the resolution? I don't know. Like, you know, like you were saying, the daughter-in-law was asking people for advice and like how to turn down the mother-in-law on these advices. But um, basically, there were others who were saying that you should go ahead and tell the mother-in-law. She can go ahead and decide which name she wants. But when it comes to household registration, it's the parent's decision. That's, oh. Do you think she'll pass with that i don't know if she's got a really because you do have to register your child yeah, right it's like a sort of like an addition to a birth certificate yeah thing. well you know what i did go through well my husband and i we did go through a route with my mother-in-law really naming our very first daughter is this something very common in taiwan friction over names with mothers-in-law i guess you know um my parents i mean my in-laws you might say they're sort of more traditional mm. Um, there was things that they really met, they really care, but there were other things that they weren't as traditional. But and when it came to naming names on a first child, because they didn't give any advice on the second or the third, I don't know if it was something to do with the first child. <laughs> they in came the family. up after the first fight. Yeah, yeah probably. She they, <laughs> she decided to just yeah hush hush. Um, well, the thing was that uh, because you know my husband and I, we've kind of we well I I spent half of my life in abroad, right? Right. right. And so coming back to Taiwan, it's like coming back to Asia. Mm -hmm. And my husband wanted to have the name, uh, get character for Ya so Ya for Asia. Okay. In the name. That can also mean like sub, like subcategory or yeah. subtropical. Ooh. So then maybe that's why my mother-in-law didn't want that. She insisted on another character with the same um, phonetics. Mm -hmm. it, it's Yo Ya de Ya. It means oh, like elegance. elegance. Oh, that's nice. Well... We really, my husband insisted on having the character Asia reminding us that we're back in Asia. Mm -hmm. We've got dreams to be in Asia and that kind of thing. Right. So my mother-in-law kind of walked away crying. What? She Over did. that? Yes. And uh, so, so then my husband and I had a sleepless night. Really? Thinking Over about this. So we finally, I wouldn't say give in. We're still pretty happy with our daughter's name. So we took the character that my mother-in-law wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Does your daughter know this story? Um, 
You know what? That's a good idea. She's now in Shanghai. I should ask her if she remembers that story. I might. Well, she was I'm a child. Sure. She was an we, infant. I don't think that she would remember. But right. But whether we actually told her at just, when she grew up. Wow. Wow. Family secrets. Yep. <laughs> exactly. You told us the whole world before you told your own daughter. So all this family feud. Oh yes. wow. Wow. What What are some nice sounding characters that a lot of female names have? Su, which also means elegance, right? Right. Yeah. And Mei, which means May. beautiful, that's beauty, pretty common, right? And uh, Hui, um, wisdom. So Su Fang, Su Hui, these names are very, very common. They're so, so you know, just like as common as John, right, right, and Peter and Michael, and I, yeah, they're like okay. Yeah. So there's like some common choices there. So I guess one solution that no one seems to have come up with is because a lot of characters have two names. What mm -hmm. if the parents picked one and the grandmother <laughs> picked another? Well, I guess that's how it was with our name, our older daughter, because yeah. we decided on the, the the other character, and we took the one that my mother-in-law wanted. Oh, but then if the they're two, like two completely like sort of, I don't know, aesthetically incompatible characters, that could be awkward. I don't you know, know. Sometimes they don't sound that nice. Right. It's a <laughs> subtle art. Anyway, the good news is that in Taiwan, I think you're allowed to change your name up to three times when you're an adult. So. Are you sure is that that many times? I think I there's think a limit. Twice, maybe. Is it? Yeah. That was one of the netizens' suggestion is that, oh, well, just go ahead and take, you know, the mother in law appease her, and then later the daughter can just change her name when she grows up. So that's always a solution, too. Right. So was it last week that we told everyone that Taiwan's uh, baseball league was getting English commentary? I think it was last was it, week. Was it, was it either last week or the week before? Time is a blur. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, and what I didn't realize at the time was that was only supposed to be for a few games. And they were oh. just testing it out. Oh. Um, Taiwan's baseball league is the only one right now with games going on with the whole COVID situation. So right. uh, I think they were hoping to get, get, get some international fans. Yeah, why not? Um, there's nothing else happening, mm. <laughs> which isn't a great advertisement. Well, there's nothing else on. You might as well. But actually, there's some. It's been some. There's been some excitement already. We told. I think we talked about there was a brawl of some sort. A what? A what? brawl. Why? I have to ask Leslie. I don't quite know the details. Anyway, <laughs> if you want excitement like that, well, there's good news. English language commentaries are going to be available for all four of the different teams. Okay. At first, it was just going to be the one of the I think one of the teams was going to get it. Anyway, all four of the baseball league games are going to get English commentary to meet increasing demand from the non-Chinese speaking world because, like I said, we're, we're, that's what you have to watch right now unless you want to watch reruns. Um, so the game, the the it's confusingly named Chinese Professional Baseball League, held its first game of its thirty-first season on April twelfth. This was in Taichung. And uh, although the, 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 the closed door format, you know, the stands were pretty much empty, um, right. there still was some uh, good, I don't know, feedback or good results. They said uh, the Taoyuan-based team, the Rakuten Monkeys, uh, began offering its commentary on April 15th. And um, they say that the five games that have been broadcast online, I guess, since then with English commentary have been viewed online around seven million times. Wow. I'm not sure if most of that traffic is coming from Taiwan itself, but uh, mm -hmm. it'd be interesting to have a breakdown. Um, so the Monkeys have had a lot of success. I think they were the only teams who had that idea, first of all. They have two commentators. One is a correspondent for the World Baseball Soft. Baseball Softball Confederation in Asia. This is, a, I think, a, a veteran of uh, commentary. And also Wayne McNeil, who is the founder of a website 
that's actually called uh, CPBL. That's for the Baseball League English. Mm-hmm. So I guess he's, I'm not sure if he started the website first and then was giving his commentary as a hobby. But anyway, they've taken him on now, like professionally, to, to do this all the time. Mm-hmm. So they were just going to do it for five games. It's been extended to all 60 home games of the Monkees this season, thanks wow, to funding 60. from their home government, the Talleyrand mm-hmm. City government. And so the other three teams, it's a four-team league, have also got their own English commentators with their own gig. Oh, good. Um, I bet Leslie could do that. Yeah. It'd be exciting. to. He's the baseball person here. Oh, okay. It'd be exciting to listen to him deliver yeah. some commentary. But uh, So first off, the Tainan-based Unipresident 7-Eleven Lions quite a mouthful, uh, is preparing to live stream its three games with English commentaries. And those, it looks like, are, are over now. This was from Friday to Sunday. Uh, it doesn't say who was doing that, but it was available on the 11 Sports Network's Twitter account. So if you're have a, if you on Twitter, you, you can uh, check that out. The other two teams, the Taijongs-based CTBC Brothers and the new Taipei-based Fubon Guardians, are also going to roll out the service and it looks like the same duo, Wang and McNeil, are going to do the uh, commentaries for the Guardians. Uh, the team will also have its advisor, Chen Jinfeng, the first Taiwanese to play Major League Baseball in the U.S. That to is right. appear as a Major League guest. That was on a game that they did Friday. Um, so the brothers have not said uh, who's going to be doing their commentary, but they're going to start f- from May 5th through the rest of the season. Okay. We should get Leslie to do that one. I don't know. (laughs) That sounds like a gig. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, very quickly before we go today, uh, we've got another story of mothers-in-law. They seem to be a... Well, it's better than COVID-19 anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is right. Okay. Well, so this uh, wife... um, she said that uh, usually, uh, you know, the thing is that their mother-in-law, her mother-in-law actually only lives like 20 minutes away by car. Mm-hmm. And actually, they pretty much see each other every day. But um, the mother-in-law always likes for them to not just go for dinner, but also to stay, you know, spend a, f- a couple of nights and stay at her place, oh. keep her company. Um, but the daughter-in-law doesn't really like doing that, you know. Um, first of all, they're, they live, the mother-in-law lives on the fourth floor with no elevator. I guess that's, that's the, not the, a big, the biggest that's problem. That's a bad excuse. The problem is that there's only one bathroom. And if oh. she and her husband and their, her children were to stay, there would be a total of seven people in the house that's sharing one bathroom. Much more friction than a name would cause, right, I think. Right, right. But what happened was that the other day, they were there for dinner. And, uh, you know, she was all ready to leave after dinner when the mother-in-law called her aside mm-hmm. and uh, gave her a stack of $100 anti-bills, which came to 3000 US dollars. What? Yeah. And said, oh, you know, these are new bills. I don't really have any use for them. So let me give you this money. What? And by the way, do you want to spend a night? Awkward. And so... <laughs> That's a weird relationship. So she said, okay. She could only just give in and spend the night. Yeah. Or, or two, I guess. That's but. sad when you have to bribe <laughs> someone. To, okay. No, they, they're saying that she's pretty smart, I guess. Maybe she lives by herself. She's lonely. Well, actually, she doesn't live by herself because there, there are a total of seven people who have to spend Yeah. Night. But, um... All right. That's one way to get people to stick around. <laughs> money works. <laughs> I suppose so. All right. Well, that does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. And I'm Shirley Lin. Don't go anywhere just yet. Coming up next, it's Ear to the Ground and Jukebox Republic.
Most people who visit the southern beaches of Taiwan tend to go there when the weather's nice. But as the heat of the summer wears off and the kids are back at school, I'm reminded by what a wonderful place the Hengchun Peninsula is, even in the windy, overcast days of autumn. I'm Andrew Ryan, and in today's Year of the Ground, I bring you to the southernmost tip of Taiwan to listen to the calls of the wind and the sea. 贴紧台湾的羊耳朵, an ear to the ground. It's almost impossible to get a clean recording of the winds of Hengchun unless you have a professional microphone with one of those furry wind covers. This choppy recording that you can hear in the background was done on my cell phone. And not the best quality, but you get the idea. Just listening to this sound makes me want to put on a sweatshirt or wrap up in a blanket. I'm standing in a place called Hengchun, which is the southernmost town in Taiwan, and it's actually known for its strong winds, which race through the town in the winter. They're called the Luoshanfeng, or downhill winds. During my visit to a local cafe, the owner, Willie Wu, told me that the winds should actually be a drawing card for visitors. He said that the winds clear up the air and contribute to good surfing conditions, which lure surfers from as far away as Japan. I decided to head out to the beach to check out the waves, but first, a trip to the southernmost tip of the island to toss all my cares into the sea. When I arrive, I discover this unusual statue marking the location. And from a distance, it looks like some kind of solar clock or maybe a pagan marker for a celestial occurrence. Flocks of Chinese tourists come to visit the marker, and it dawns on me that they probably view the spot as one of the farthest reaches of their own country. I also encounter two Japanese tourists who are snapping photos of the shoreline, and I can't help but muse at how 60 years ago, this would have been the farthest reaches of Japanese territory, too. I have to say there's something romantic about the idea of traveling to Land's End, and it's got nothing to do with your nationality. As I stand there, looking off into the distance, I imagine that somewhere just beyond the horizon lies the edge of the earth and the great dark void beyond. Later that evening, I head to a nearby beach with a friend and a couple of beers, and we dig into the sand and watch as the wind whips the waves into a frenzy. There's no need for words as we gaze out across the empty beach at the massive expanse of jet-black ocean. We toss some pebbles into the sea, along with all of our thoughts and our worries and the trivialities of everyday life. Yep, I do love Hongchun in the fall. Now sure, you probably won't get a suntan at this time of the year, but you will leave this place having been christened by the mist and the downhill winds, with the thunder of the ocean in your ears and the lightness in your heart that comes from making a trip to the end of the world. With an ear to the ground, I'm Andrew Ryan.
From a fruit market in Tel Aviv to a fish seller in Taipei, the people of our world are working hard to make a living. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to Jukebox Republic. I'm Shirley Lin at Radio Taiwan International. Now, if I were to ask you, what's a Taiwanese pop song that stands the test of time? What would you say? Of course, there are many, but then I've only been back in town for 29 years, so my list is, you know, pretty short, I guess. But to start off, though, I think I would think of Teresa Tang, that town's cultural icon, widely regarded as one of the most influential singers in Asia. She's already passed away, but when I think of her, I think of the song Ye Lai Xiang, which means evening primrose. Now, recently, I had the honor to speak with one of our longtime listeners of RTI's English language programs. That's Brian Newell of Logansport, Indiana, USA. Now, of all the songs from Taiwan that he likes, he did mention that Ye Lai Xin is one of them, especially uh, an a cappella version by David Tao. The way it's a cappella in the David Tao version and just the way it was produced, it just, I sing it in a, like an amateur a cappella group, and to hear that was just like, it just 
stop me. I bought the album. I was just really amazed at the sound. <laughs> yeah. And you were saying that you really think the fact that there's Google Translate, you finally could figure out what the lyrics is all about. It makes it easier. <laughs> Back 20 years ago, I, I'd like to have the little dictionary with the small print. It took me a long time to look up those words, and I never quite got a grasp of it until, you know, Google Translate is a big help. <laughs> yes, and after you realized what the lyrics is about, what were your thoughts? Well, uh, yeah, it's a love song. The thing that draws me to it really is, is the sound of it, just the beauty of the sound. And they they got that those uh, tracks where they go into the like the older version of it and like an old time sound, and and then they they come into the modern stuff and they transition so well, and uh, it's just really well done. I know that you have a liking for Simon God's music. Actually, you have the album called Wildfire Spring Wind, and uh, a couple of the songs in there you really like a lot, and I'm I'm going to play them. One is called Myth Sen Huan. The other one has got a long, long name. If I can say it right, it's the Emma Ya Ah Yem. What is it you like about Simon God? Wow, she's, her voice is just so beautiful. Um, Andrew Ryan had a contest years ago, and if we wrote something in, we had a chance to win this demo album, and I I wrote this. This is what my impression of Simon God. First time I heard her voice. It might have been right after that 9-11, so it was kind of a troubling time in the, in the world, and uh, this is what I thought about it. Uh, why do we like Samin God? She sings about life in an age of despair and death. She affirms what is positive in all of us, reaching towards heaven with her voice, straight from her soul, honest and without guile. She sings for us all. That was my impression of her voice. It just totally touched me. I, I was just moved by her voice. Well, that's beautiful, and it's, it's so appropriate at a time like this when we're going through this uh, COVID-19 outbreak. It's similar, isn't it? It's yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What about her voice? You know, apparently she was um, singing in the restaurant and got discovered. Something about Aboriginal peoples, their voices, they're totally God-gifted. They're just, mm-hmm. you know, so powerful, don't you think? Yes. She's singing from her heart. You know, she's not singing to perform. She's singing out of, of, of love, of life, and... Uh, it's just a, a pure, beautiful form of art. I, I just respect that greatly. What do you like about Myth, Senhua, this song in particular? Because I apparently really like this one. Well, I just I just thought it was a beautiful song uh, the first time I heard it. When people listen to music, they're not listening for perfection, really. They, they want an emotional experience. Like if you're going to a concert or something, you want to be moved by the music. And I felt like her music did that for me. It, it moved me. I mean, you could talk about the elements of music being spirit and truth or, or uh, technical proficiency and poetry, if you look at it that way. And I, I think she combined both those. You don't want something that's so perfect that it's stale and boring. And you don't want something that's so emotional that it, it doesn't have the, the true pitch and the, the inner mm. beauty of it. But I, yeah. I think she combined both of those in, in just a fine an authentic way. And as for this other one, yeah. you said that whenever you listen to the song... Wow, it, it's a motivating song. It's like a can-do song. It's like if, <laughs> if I have to do some kind of work I don't really want to do, I'm kind of like <laughs> not motivated, like housework or something, I can put that on and it's like, all right, I can do it now. It just it boosts me up. It's a, a real positive and encouraging song. It's a harvest song, really. You know, right, right, right. Celebrating this festival and I think they're, they're saying something like, Ima Yama Ya, Ima Yama Yam or something. The, the women's voices singing in unison is just, just a powerful thing. And so here's a couple of songs from Samin God. The first one, Myth, Senhua, and the second one is Emma Yamayama. It's a harvest song.
tiada tahu atau maisan edan rakaran kaman kali puna puna tukar isan daya angan data
Now, Samingad is an Aboriginal Taiwanese pop singer and songwriter. She's of the Puyuma tribe. She won Best New Artist Golden Melody Awards in 1999. And in 2001, she won Best Aboriginal Female Singer Award for the album Wildfire Spring Wind. Her music draws much of its inspiration from Christian gospels, as well as stories about their tribe uh, through hunting and lifestyle, and also about their people's struggles in Taiwan's contemporary society. So talking about Samingad, I also think about another indigenous singer, and that would be Elit Gaolu, Iri Gaolu, whom Brian also has a liking to. Iri Gaolu is of the Amis descent. She won Best New Artist, Best Aboriginal Singer, and Best Indigenous Album in 2012 with her debut album, My Carefree Life. She says that her music is inspired by her farming because she and her husband are organic rice farmers. So let's have a listen to My Carefree Life.
Thank you so much for tuning in to Jukebox Republic. I'm Shirley Lin, and I just want to play another song by Iri Gaolu. This would be Xiuxi. And this doesn't play fairness to all the classical Taiwanese songs, but uh, I shall do another episode next week with some of my favorite classics from Taiwan. Again, this is Iri Gaolu with the song Xiuxi. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.